The opening paragraph of Alejandro Hodorowsky's Wikipedia lists him as a novelist, screenwriter, a poet, a playwright, an essayist, an actor, a comic book writer, a musician, a philosopher, a puppeteer, a mime, a psychologist, a draftsman, a painter, a sculptor, and a spiritual guru. But he is perhaps best known as a film director, having established a cult reputation with Acid West and El Topo and the psychedelic fantasy The Holy Mountain, both made in the 1970s. He continued to work through the 1980s, but his filmography was a barren desert from 1990 until 2013 and 2016, when The Dance of Reality and its sequel, Endless Poetry, were released. These films see the elderly auteur narrates the early part of his own life, beginning in 1930s Chile. Alejandro is a scrawny, effeminate boy with a heavy-busted operatic mother and a macho, mustachioed father whose quest for masculine honour leads him to disrepair and humility under the shadow of tyrannical Chilean president General Ibanez. Endless poetry shows the salad days of a young Hodorowsky in Santiago as he flourishes creatively and sexually. Both films are full of circus tricks and brassy public parades overflowing with colour and costume. You're listening to MoveTube, the podcast that's all dressed up with nowhere to go, although cinemas are now <laughs> open again in London under tier two regulations. Writing in a publication known as Queen's Mobs in 2015, the esteemed <laughs> writer Owen Vince described The Dance of Reality as a beautiful and strange and daring film. Owen joins me as ever. A bold claim. Do you stand by it? Well, it's interesting because I, yeah, I reviewed that film five years ago. My memory is shaky. I think I, think I had seen it at the ICA. I, it struck me as amazingly remarkable. I only, this was my first, that was my like first in, like encounter with Jodorowsky. I knew him because of El Topo and Holy Mountain, which I had not seen and have seen subsequently. Um, which is kind of weird because uh, Endless Poetry and Dance of Reality are both very, you know, we were talking before about films made by older people looking back on their lives and we were looking, we were digging around for a fucking example. Mm. Um, this is it, although it doesn't fulfill that format because it's not a, it's not like a a, a, a reverie um, so much as a kind of like it's a, it doesn't look like an old person's film as it were. This is some, so, for both of these films are made by someone at kind of the height of their creative powers, considering he's fucking like eighty seven when he started making fucking the, the this trilogy. It's going to be a trilogy apparently of films, um, and yeah, so it doesn't. It, their reflections back on his life as a octogenarian um and kind of mining his youth um because as a true artist like Khodorovsky knows that like the the um portrait of the artist as a young man is the ultimate exploration for any artist to explore I think or any path for an artist to explore um because they're amazing right these films like I've I've no like yeah I stand by my I stand by my um, my juvenile ear actually, and I'm like, these are insanely joyous films to watch. Even if, like, when we were talking about it, it was a bit like, ah, oh, I mean, we were sharing WhatsApps originally, and we were like, mm, I'm not sure if I'm completely on board with like this late Jodorowsky stuff. Like, uh, I don't know, but like, having re-entered their orbit, they slap, they slap so hard. These two films. Oh my god! Did you? I mean, just on surface level, did you? Do you echo that? Am I? Uh, am I preaching to the choir? <laughs> so one of the I? one of the one of the things this podcast has yet to truly harbour is a genuine conflict 
and uh, oh, I'm, I'm pleased to say <laughs> yes <laughs> that we are on the precipice of one. I thought these films were fucking awful. No, I, I detested them. I, I found them a real a real clock watch to wade through. I thought they were sentimental. Oh. I found them gauche. I, though I thought there was a complete lack of cinematography. I thought this sort of yeah, like, that's true. That is true. This overwhelm of symbolism was just kind of really, really pat and rubbish. Um, you I see, ladies really and gentlemen. Ralph, Ralph is a is a sentiment is a young serious artist and he can only accept Bellatar you know if it's not fucking like eight hours long in Hungarian in like a rare like dead Hungarian dialect it's like well actually the first 47 minutes are actually of a cow's udder and I think you know it's just really you know interesting um cool. no, you, go on, you, tell you, me more you, you, you finish <laughs> <laughs> Like, tell me more because um, like I, I agree with some of your points there like the, the cinematography is kind of whack in these films it's not it's, it's not... weird because the second one is 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 dp'd by christopher doyle who like yes. is in the mood for love and is like a kind of is yeah. like kind of the only famous cinematographer right like um yeah but yeah, 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 yeah. like there they... isn't really like a, a genuinely like there's a lot of good there's a lot of like production design that is obviously very mm. well thought out it's not like not to my taste but it's like well done but then the, the shots are just like not really they're kind of crappy. Cinem- they're not cinematic shots. It feels like a like a, like a, a play being kind of documented. Yeah, because um, I was watching um, I was watching the beginning of uh, Orson Welles' The Trial the other day, right? And oh, right, yeah. which is a remarkably strikingly kind of expressionist film in some ways. It's shot in some ways, and you know, sort of it opens with this beautifully because I was comparing these films, even though they're not related at all, but like it opens with this beautifully composed shot at an angle of a sleeping man's head. And it's like, that's, that's beauty. That's cinematic beauty. Whereas yeah, Jodorowsky, like it feels like the cinematography was an afterthought. If the cinematography was an afterthought, what was the first thought? And I think the first thought Mm. was like this deep, strong desire to express a particular, like his upbringing, a particular moment. Um, uh, you know, I read up a bit on psycho magic, which is the, mm. um, which is a a, a a a form of magic that I believe Hodorowsky himself developed. Which, um, yes. an example of it is um, uh, if you're embarrassed about about your sexuality or, your, or the sexual dimension of your life, then you um, mm. you wear a a golden penis around your waist for. Um, like a large golden cock for, for it's for a it's month sim- or sympathetic magic it's is there something kind of primitive and symp- symp- sympathetic yeah. about magics yeah yeah it involves symbolism and it involves kind of a, an element of exposure to your fear so there's a bit in the film where the, the young boy is afraid of the dark and his mother comes in with black paint and they um they black up i suppose <laughs> black up. i'm not i'm not going to throw that <laughs> accusation at, uh, well, at, it's interesting said it because that happens in the <laughs> that happens in um in this poetry as well there's an earthquake and his father tells him he's like laugh laugh in the face of the earthquake laugh in front of your mm. fears like it's it's yeah. very um it's very on the nose right and maybe maybe that's why i like it because it is i don't think this is great cinema but it's effective cinema with an a like it it affected me i think partly because i can sympathize with the the journey he's kind of nostalgically revisiting mm. um his poetic his first poetic pulses and impulses um there's something very amazing about that but you're right it's not in any way beautifully shot it is there's there's no color grading or any like it's literally like we filmed it with a digital camera um <laughs> It, like considering it's like oh well in some scenes there's hundreds of extras it's like you've got the money to have done like but i don't think that's a concern but there is him. lighting and stuff it's just cinema. that i think there's 
yeah. there's a lack of intimacy to it i think it's all quite clowny yeah. and and i think like i'm I, I respect like i i like i like clowning like i've done i've done a bit of clowning myself and it's like there's there in there are clearly mm. like important strands of of um tradition in what he's doing it doesn't feel like yeah. it has anything to do with the tradition of cinema which i, is, I guess is probably why it like gets my goat a bit there's an interesting um quote from him that, actually, where he yeah. says um i am not mad i'm trying to heal my soul and i sort of feel like if hodorovsky was listening in on this conversation he would say to me like you know like i i don't i don't care about making a, a good film that's not important for me like what's important yeah. for him is this kind of spiritual process of like capturing a childhood and like yeah. a series of dynamics and obviously all the stuff that his fa- like his father doesn't actually in real life go on that big journey of like trying to kill Ibanez and like being like no which is quite amazing identity and becoming homeless like it's an amazing journey yeah. that sort of expresses um is like a metaphor for like how his father was to him when he mm. grew up um and i sort of as a form of storytelling i kind of admire that but i just think it's totally not fit mm. for purpose in regards to a film um, no, because I don't think I think you're right when you say it, it, there is little regard for uh, the work as a cinematic endeavor. Because I don't think there is. There's referentially, and I think a lot of film works through its referentiality or its its desire to break referentiality. Um, and I don't think that's here. It's I think this is cinema is just the most accessible medium to him. And I think, like I said, you know, when he was younger, because this is an autobiography, as we see, he's like he was a poet he was a puppet maker um candlestick maker soldiers thinker sailor you know he's like he's kind of done everything right and i think this is just he's one of those kind of i don't think he's an auteur but he's also polymath i kind of use that term very loosely but i think he's just cinema is just the most visually explosive medium in the biggest way to kind of um in kind of project himself onto reality i think you can't it's hard to do this with paintings unless you're like anselm kiefer it's hard to do it with sculptures because sculpture can only be seen you know in one room or whatever like this is his biggest way to make a splash i think which is why like that's what it feels like we're seeing someone just marshal these huge energies to kind of retell his story in the dwindling years of his life um i think because he could go on fucking it forever yeah yeah i mean he's he's in he looks great for his age he looks great for his age because he's uh, he's already scheduled Sons of El Topo, which is El Topo's sequel and a third part. Or so Peter Bradshaw has said, a third part of this trilogy, which will be his kind of um, uh, francophile years. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to unpick for you. So what? Actually, no, 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 that's the wrong question. What? So what did affect you about these films? The best bit of it for me was right at the end of. Um uh, of Dance of Reality, the first film where the father finally comes home from his his crazy journey and um, and admits that he's been violent and been uh, like cruel and has sort of denied. There's an element of him admitting that he's denied the sensitive aspects of his son and also denied the sensitive aspects of himself. That feels true emotionally there was an element of like um don't know if you if any if anyone listening's ever done um family constellations which is a form of therapy where like you get different people to like stand around and like represent different members of your family um many of whom have died or are not you know you're not in contact with anymore and you you use the sort of the rep the process of representation to kind of access like a, a some kind of um emotional like resolution where you feel like um, better um, about 
what happened. Um, and I feel like that this film serves something of that purpose in the form of representation. But like the the representation is precisely the thing which like pisses me off. It's like a ghost intervention. Yeah, exactly. Like. I, the other thing I want to re- reference, yeah. I don't know if you've seen Hourglass Sanatorium by Wojciech Has. I haven't, no. It's like a Polish film about, I think I've referenced it before on this show. It's like one of my favorite films. It's a Polish film about um, this, this guy who visits his father in a sanatorium uh, in Poland. And when he arrives at the sanatorium, the doctor says, um, he says, is my father alive? And the doctor says, uh, in in what in once in in here he's alive, but in a more general sense, no, he's dead. Um, and the sanatorium has kind of frozen time. And by entering the, the sanatorium, you enter this kind of dream space where like they keep people alive by turning the clocks back, but like everything's kind of in a state of disarray. Yeah, and mean, while and while he stays at the sanatorium, like the whole process of like the effect of um, Nazi Germany on the Jewish community across Europe is kind oh. of like played out like and you see these and it's sort of like it's it's like a, a dream manifestation of like the holocaust <sighs> via the eyes it, of through the eyes of a child um, that's interesting it's it, to me it sounds like Bertolucci's uh, the conformist you know the the scenes in the in the mental hospital in the conformist do you remember those mm. There's almost upside down scenes in uh, the conformist. Anyway, it's just visually that was like jumping out to me. I need I need to see the hourglass sanatorium. Maybe that would be on our list um, in the Post future. Post movie, we can we can venture towards a film like that. Yeah, I mean that that film um, that film is like uh, the reason I bring it up is like it's it's for me like a perfect example of like a probably quite an autobiographical story for Has because he was mm. a, a Polish Jew um, who, whose father you know in that the timings match up you know um and uh and and it uses like absurdity and a dream like fantasy world to convey how things felt so there is an element of like representation happening um Mm. but it's done without any kind of um it's done without the self-consciousness of these films and it's Mm. um it's much less um it's much less tidy, I think. This film has a yeah. crazy, like, almost like a sort of Hollywood musical. People suddenly appear and rejoice and start doing... Everything just feels yeah. like... It's like we're a lot walking of, into a toy shop and just watching all the sort of things... Yeah, it's like a costume cupboard coming to life. And I think even from the... And I think the, the, the way it's shot in this very crisp, clear, almost too real high definition... Um, kind of creates this unreality and I think it's an unintentional effect because I think he's actually quite an unintentional filmmaker and kind of last last week when we were talking about Manikau, one thing Manikau's in, Manikau is a vastly different filmmaker in so many ways um, and Mani, but Manikau does, in an interview does talk about uh, the artist or creator or filmmaker or whatever kind of serving ends that they're not aware of and I think in a way Jodorowsky is one of the most even while he's looking intentionally inside himself for these films and his own life is the material that he's constructing this artifice out of um, mm. he's not very aware and he's not very conscious about what he's doing and we were talking about how particularly Endless Poetry the kind of second film um is very deeply Freudian in its kind of structure. There is a the the relationship between father, mother, and son. The same actress that plays his mother plays the character's muse and first sexual, non-penetrative sexual partner, um, the the fiery poet that he kind of falls in with for a while. 
His father, I believe, also plays di dictator Ibnez at the end. Um, and he has this kind of fight, the physical fight with his father um, at the end of the film, like as it, you know, as it were, wants to destroy and kill his father. I mean, these metaphors and parallels, I just find so tedious but i think obvious. i think they're unintentional i don't i think it's literally that that is hodorowsky's life i think he's almost if if freud you know he could imagine him being one of freud's like classic patients because he's he i think he's unintentionally doing this because his life is reducible to these core human conflicts it makes him a very human di director in reality i think there's a two undercurrents here and it's two modes of psychoanalysis kind of battling it out unconsciously mm -hmm. through his films and one is this freudian the other is this <clears throat> schizoanalysis which is Deleuze and Qatari because for them Deleuze and Qatari sorry because for them uh this is desiring production you know desire is not a negative space to be filled it is a productive um capacity it generates reality and he kind of says as much when the young uh Alejandro Jodorowsky in in endless poetry is kind of going through his apprenticeship as a poet um and he says you know poetry is an act he never writes there's no books he doesn't write anything down it poetry's performance it is a done thing um mm. and it just shows that like i think it's jodorowsky celebrating creation as being plugged into your kind of almost schizoid uh creativity um and your endless capacity for creative production i think that's kind of what it celebrates but again i don't think that's a conscious thing i don't think he's a smart as it were filmmaker in that way he's not drawing on psychoanalysis or psychoanalytic theory to make these films i think it's just he's so on the level he's so transparent about how he goes about creating art that you can't help but talk about it in these with big terms like freud oedipal complex or fucking schizoanalysis or desiring production i think all these things are just there because he's so upfront and i like that boldness about it like don't get me wrong i like i like my bresson um but there's something kind of beautiful watching this and just affirming this is a celebration of creation of the creative act and a celebration of the poet in a general sense you're shaking your head rough <laughs> um but i think there we're, is it was for listeners of, there, we're in it because owen's internet is bad we're in a situation where i a kind of police interrogation mirror where i can be seen but owen cannot um, it's like the wire um but we're talking about <laughs> film um we're not in body more anymore um was it does it i'm going to use a really pat word here but inspiring because i found i found it kind of inspiring because it celebrated creativity did you did you give you a mm. celebration of creativity did it make you feel that i mean as i said on a personal level the, the father-son thing right at the end of the first film kind of like hit maybe like a slightly personal chord with me um yeah. but that was like maybe more just me relating a bit to that whole thing about fathers um I think in terms of creativity, uh, no, I didn't find <laughs> myself like I really, I, I really found it to be like exhausting and I just kept feeling he made the wrong creative decisions. Like, like he should have like, been a puppeteer or should have been a painter. Rather than a, or yeah. I mean, this is the thing. Like, like I, I guess, I guess, mm. um, it's funny that when I read the intro, you couldn't tell that I didn't like the films because, because no, like I re nothing. I read out a long list of his like various different metier, um, mm. and to me like it to me I guess like it feels like um, I think it's just kind of ridiculous to do that to 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 say I I don't think he wrote his Wikipedia thing, but like to have that many yeah. different things that you do, I think it's just a fucking joke. I think he's one of those those twentieth century artifacts, right? He's like. 
the Picasso or this like you know I can be a librettist I can be a painter I can be a sculptor I am an artist with a capital A and I think he wouldn't be ashamed of calling himself yeah a- but Picasso only really did visual art no like, true well. but I mean I use that in terms of the figure he he sees himself as an artist mm. as something that supersedes it's not about a particular medium it's about a worldview which is their own and it's unique and it's un unimpeachable and untranslatable to anyone else really which is I think in a way it's kind of the ethics of that is kind of unappealing maybe to me generally because I'm more interested in in art that makes me feel complex and complicated and tries to do that empathetic reaching out beyond itself yeah and I don't I mean, think he's it does quite, I guess it's quite selfish. They're quite selfish films in a way, I guess. Yeah, I um, think there's this I I, still like the thing them, I used to say that was, I, is, I, this is a, a thing I used to say to people that's quite cruel and I don't say it anymore because I don't like to say cruel things. But um, <laughs> this thing I used to say was, um, art is a good form of therapy, but actually um, therapy is a better form of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like uh, I feel like these yeah. um I mean I'm actually so I'm actually quite anti therapy now. Well I mean therapy there can be different forms of therapy. But like I think that art um yeah. I you know, when he says this thing in the Guardian interview about like um I'm not mad, I'm trying to heal my soul. I almost don't want to pile these films off because it just feels like he's it's all part of some spiritual journey he's on to feel but it's like yeah. when someone kind of rabbits off about like self compassion and like self care and stuff. And you kind of want to critique You've been them. You've looking at my Instagram stories again. <laughs> <laughs> you I'm kind of want to critique solve. them because it's just like, it, it's sort of neoliberal yeah. pap, but then also you're like, well, this is how this person like stops feeling anxious. So in a way, there is something kind of neoliberal about it in a way. Uh, no, I mean, you don't have to par them off. I mean, I agree with you in so many ways. I'm surprised at how much these affected me. And I think it, maybe it's just what I need right now. And I think it's very easy to exhaust yourself in the art world and the creative industries. I use that in a very mm. kind of like, anti-sprung way um but like it's very easy to exhaust yourself by focusing on outputs and focusing on key performance indicators and focusing on you know kind of growth targets and whatever which kind of infect and determine the art world for most artists whereas you know if you're one of the elect um even you know the great visionaries as it were over time like Anselm Kiefer these big uh Sturm and Drang artists are ultimately commercial artists and sell the paintings before they've done them like for most like jobbing artists and creators like your art has to have be reducible to a one-page bit of wall text waffle and have all these different boxes that it ticks I'm beginning to sound like a Joe Rogan podcast um but <laughs> it, it in a way that that kills your fucking vibe to create so I think yeah. sometimes you need films like this because you look at them and go, this is what, uncon- I don't agree with this guy's worldview and I'm sure this person, you know, the young Alejandro would be an incredibly irritating little cunt. But there's something quite amazing about the raw celebration of creativity, I suppose, that doesn't explain itself through. Um, this artwork explores yeah x y z a b c um using this you know sort of lawrence lex sino futurism it re oh, yeah, yeah. it requeers <laughs> this kind of all that shit it's like no this is just a kind of raw celebration I mean, yeah, there's, of, a, there's a carnival joy um, to it and if oh, that gets people out of the yeah. office or you know then i'm yeah uh 
or, or the home office um <laughs> then uh, then i'm, I'm not the home office yeah no not yeah. the pretty patel um but yeah like obviously i obviously i'm like in favor of all things that like peel back the inhibitions because i think we live in a very anxious mm. inhibited world like the we there yeah. is like like left adjacent artist people but um yeah yeah like um yeah, it just didn't do that for me. And like a lot of things mm. do do that for me, like Kathy Acker and Fassbinder and like. Yeah, um, yeah. 100, 100 Gex. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about your um, your affiliation with, with uh, Fassbinder. I think Fassbinder does a. is on a. was engaged in a similar project in his work, but so different. So, so. So Jodorowsky. Because it. In terms of like, it was a kind of Gomanskin's work, you know, it was like this totalizing project to flagellate and understand himself. But whereas kind of Jodorowsky is uh, a bit quirky and weird, um, like Fassbinder's actually bared, Fassbinder bared his soul gain and yeah, gain yeah. and again and kind of ruined himself through the we've process. We've got to review right? some Fassbinder like, on here, man. When we, when man, we break we, free of the leash of movie, we're going to be fucking... We have to, we have to, man, you know, we have to like break out of this corporate <laughs> structure, man. We're like just shells for the um, corporate Jodorowsky, movie. though, he's... Um, I, I made this remark on Messenger to someone. Um, his films are like someone with bad tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Jodorowsky is basically every posh, creative, rich person I've met. Not like young creative, but like I, I've spent a lot of time with kind of like very wealthy people who mm. have, you know, a second or third home in France and are really creative and do a bit of everything. It's like, oh, you know, I paint, I dabble, you know, I, I you know, I sculpt. So I kind of... Um, where's the suffering? A lot, I think he's... Where's the suffering? I think Jodorowsky does have that, but he does appeal to that, you know, sort of... Um, the art for art's sake thing. You know, earlier I was kind of criticizing the the, the KPI KPIization of <coughs> of art, and then there's the extreme ulterior of that, the other face of that, the Janos face what, of that. KPIization, which is, sorry. Yeah, you know, key performance indicators, like the bureaucratization oh, right, and the man yeah. management of art, and then there's the other end, which is the art for art's sake. And I don't, I don't, you know, there's a kind of sweet spot in between these things, right? Like it's good to know what you're doing, um, mm. but I think yeah, there's a kind of like posh funness to Jodorowsky but still it's still cut he's not posh is he no he's not no he's struggled but he he appeals to that mentality I think of just you know I'm just a bit of a dilettante you know do a bit of watercolours do some sculpting it's all nice it's all fun but yeah there is there is suffering in his films and I think yeah I don't know I just think I think it struck a maybe I would if lockdown wasn't happening um and my life was full and not a complete flat line at the moment, then maybe I'd have felt differently about these films. <laughs> but I was right having now, a I'm conversation like... with my friend Mikey about this actually, like what's it actually going to be like when, when people, when there'll, there'll basically be a month where loads of shows and like live mm. gigs and clubs and stuff, like all the stuff that's been waiting will be on. Yeah. And you'll basically be able to like do something every night. Um, yeah. And actually my, my friend Mikey was saying, <laughs> Um, our friend um, was saying that um, that actually people will be wanting people will think that they want like this really hyper kind of mm. like Netflixy sort of like everything all at once um, mm. positive joy carnival energy um, but actually what they'll want is like some art about suffering because yeah. they've suffered well, it'll be, <laughs> exactly but I think it'll be business business as usual actually because I was thinking that I think 
up until lockdown happened and coronavirus happened the predominant mode amongst millennials at least was pretty much like i'm too depressed to do anything i'm too sad i don't want to do anything i've just got social anxiety and i'm not saying that in a neggy way because that's me as well but it's like people are and it's also about our economy as well and our society that we are burnt out we were before coronavirus we were burnt out exhausted poor yeah uh many of us oppressed in various ways like um you know particularly if you live in like an urban capital but it's different in 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 rural areas for sure right but it was not a nice beautiful world where we were all doing everything we wanted to at once before people were that great meme with where it's like from peep show it's like the olivia coleman character it's like everything being like it was before like not even necessarily that good just normal and then behind her is um johnson from peep show and it just says some geezer eating a fucking bat (laughs) (laughs) really good but i think there is that like i we were not in a good place before coronavirus coronavirus just intensified the burnout and the the precariousness the precarity of of modern labor and modern existence and i think shit was bad before this and i'm not trying to be super doomy about it like it will be good to not have coronavirus kicking around anymore when this when people listen to this podcast it will almost be a year ago to the day that um yeah labor lost Mm. uh, the election and remember what like a in 2019 kind of it's actually 2019 state. right now the time is is 2019 <laughs> 19 years <laughs> 2020 never oh, happened um you know we're wake, we actually ralph you've are you right you just you just woke <laughs> up from a coma it's it's the day after labor well, was out in putney you okay you look like you had a really ba- you're in putney <laughs> you you collapsed on knocking on the door you're right mate look you've had a really bad dream it's like whoa there's a coronavirus. um <laughs> Uh, I'm pretty sure we no. haven't talked about Jodorowsky for about 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, no, we haven't, but it's, there I we think are, it's... Avoiding our conflict. There's only so... Avoiding our conflict, but no, Jodorowsky, I think one of the best things about Endless Poetry, and I think actually Endless Poetry was yeah. less good than A Dance of Reality because it was a much more normative film. Yeah. Um, it kind of raised my, my ears when I was reading this Peter Bradshaw review, and he was like, well, it's the most narratively normal of Jodorowsky's films. So I think his his masterpiece. It's like, no, no, not really. Like, Dance of oh, Reality is much Bradshaw, more inventive. Bald, fuck. Fuck you, balding, <laughs> fuck. But Ennis Poetry is just a bit sentimental and pap, and it's fine. It's just quite inspiring. But I think Dance of Reality is a lot more inventive and weird. Um, yeah, I think the father narrative, like, pulls it back for me. Because it's not about him as well. That's, like... No. that's also good but no but i think it's at the end of endless poetry that there is a uh r- confrontation between uh, uh and a kind of a um rapprochement between father and son which mm-hmm. is clearly therapy in the sense of like jodorowsky and actually the actors the father and son of the film are jodorowsky's son and his son it's his son and grandson mm. um and it, the two characters have this physical fight when uh, Alejandro is about to escape, run away to Paris to kind of join the Surrealists. A bit late, mate, but fine. Um, <laughs> and um, and they fight, and then they kind of have this tearful kind of ah, uh, kind of like conf- confrontation. And Jodorowsky, actual Jodorowsky, appears. This this Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and kind mm. of brings them together and tells them what to say. He tells them their lines, and he says, "You should say this. Say it like this." And there's this head shaving scene. The son shaves the father's head. They kiss on the lips twice. 
and it's super weird and it's it's but it's quite powerful that affected me it's basically an instructional video for for psycho magic right the his form of therapy it's <laughs> family like this, magic. And it's, like, it's similar to it's similar to family constellations court, fe- yeah. like family constellations yeah. therapy which is like an effective form of therapy in that it does like bring up huge emotions through like representation yeah. and metaphor um yeah and i get that but like symbols yeah it doesn't especially when it, you're doing it with like members of your family like it's so intimate and like yeah. But it's, it's so, so there's no, like, yeah, that's his, so that's his son with his son's his grandson. son. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a literal family tree. Like what, like that's. It's kind of fucked up, but I think I, I, I kind of, in a way I, I felt very moved by it because it was kind of Jodorowsky fixing the mistake he made. Cause this is, this really mm. happened according to Jodorowsky. They really had a big fight. He ran yeah. away to France and he never saw his father again and they left on bad terms and obviously in his later years he's regretting that you know kind of the years have passed and it's like you know what I would have given to have made it up with my father one last time mm. and he's kind of fixing that it's an unfixable thing but he's kind of fixing it in his mind and for me yeah that's the point where it stops being a film and it is literally it's irrelevant this is a film at this point this is a man's confrontation with his own past yeah so at that point it's it wasn't a film anymore it was just a really human really sad deeply fucked up because i was watching it and i was like saying out loud i was like fuck this really happened mm. like this is a real pain that jodorowsky the man has actually gone through um and he's kind of putting it all out there and i was like that's you know the rest of the film is kind of fun and fancy but that was the moment where i was like fuck man that's like really really tragic and quite powerful again i don't think he i think he meant it in weird I think I don't know like it's hard to say like saying a lot of what he does is unconscious but that felt like one of the few times where he was being actively conscious and difficult um yeah it kind of affected me quite deeply um but I don't know maybe I'm just all emotional no respect coronavirus I mean, but, like yeah. it's nice to, yeah I think I just really by that point obviously I was still watching but like I had kind of disengaged from the project so much that mm. that scene like yeah didn't have that effect where it might have otherwise done um so i can see that and and i i the father and son thing at the end of the first um uh, film as i say did did move me mm. but i think you have to, as a filmmaker you have to do more than that yeah um, yeah because it's not like you said earlier when you said it's not really a they're not really films or they're they're not intentionally trying to break the formulas of cinema they're just not films they're just kind of cameras. Yeah, because I don't think films. Brain, I think I the think, point yeah. of films is to like solve problems in the past. Like I think, I think what I want to see a film do is like no. have, is like accept things and just kind of like um, honor them with like uh, the beauty of of a truthful de- de- depiction um, mm. and an expression expression. You know, rather than. I don't yeah. think in my own life I'm willing to do kind of therapeutic experimentations with like um like re-inhabiting role play and stuff but uh, mm. it's just yeah it's it, it did it thing. did it kind of alienated yeah. me especially because he's so visible in the whole process if he'd made it about you know there's that that really sort of interesting 
uh, I was about to say great and then I like downgraded it to interesting which is kind of the worst thing you can say about a film <laughs> uh, but there's a Polish film called You Have No Idea How, how Much I, I Love You which is like a, a role play of a, ther- of a family therapy of a mother and a daughter therapy and it's like oh. basically an hour and ten minutes of like this mother and daughter who are actually actors like replaying lines that were really said by people in therapy um, yeah and it's like, yeah, just this very emotional kind of series of confrontations between mother and daughter and stripped back and intimate in that way and and being the product of some kind of documentary process. Like, I love that film, The Work in, in Prisons mm. and like the act of killing. Yes. Like, there are films where like there's... But it's, I think the act of those killing... films are selfless. Those films are like not indulgent in this. They're not like narcissistic. Yeah, because Oppenheimer, of, Oppenheimer is surfacing. It, for, I mean, for in... In Jodorowsky, he is fully conscious of the kind of fault lines and repressions in his life, and he's putting them out there. Whereas Oppenheimer is using the act of play and the act of simulation to surface people's buried, repressed, shitty past, right? And it's the act of play is essential to uncovering mm. the truth because a doc- straight documentary wouldn't, with Oppenheimer, wouldn't have worked. Yeah. It wouldn't, because the, the, the shocking thing about um, Oppenheimer's film, The Act of Killing, is is because it is formally brilliant. It's a formally brilliant solution that was completely unique to film. It had to be filmed. Yeah. It had to use the genres and stereotypes and tropes of cinema in order to surface the horrible things that these people had done and still believe. And it's very generous um, in that process. Like what he, what The Act of Killing does is like incredibly generous because it gives it gives a form hugely, yeah. to a thing in real life. Um, and I, I think I, the, mm. my problem with Jodorowsky is he like has no respect for the form, you know. No, no, it's it's it anti anti form. He'll just use any form um, to like service this like thing that he's trying to do. But then like, I think form is always important. Like, even if you're trying yeah. to like, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I think it's 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 kind of yeah, it's it's aesthetic ethics in a way are kind of empty. But I think. It's interesting when you landed on Oppenheimer because, yeah, I think the act, the act of killing has a frivolity about it, but the frivolity serves ends beyond itself. Mm. It, it looks like... You could watch, like, um, a trailer of... If you didn't have the sound, you could watch, like, a trailer of, um, you know, the act of killing and think that looks like a fun, weird film. Yeah, it has a very similar aesthetic to Dance of Reality. It has, <laughs> so it's really similar to that's reality but when you actually watch it like the first time i watched it i was like fucking hell this is like an incredibly ethically dodgy brilliant film um and yeah the only solution that was available to joshua oppenheimer to surface the horrific um holocausts that these people had done you know mm. and he doesn't judge them either yeah that's really. the thing They're, because he's not trying to achieve a particular outcome i don't think no like he definitely no, achieves something with it but like i don't think there's like whereas i think with jodorowsky it's like yeah he wants to heal everything is about healing and it's a bit like it's prostate it's like prostate oh. pro- prost- what's that word it's a beautiful word proselytizing proselytizing yeah like i can yeah. i can never handle um i can't even say the word i can never handle proselytizing i was even like <laughs> talking to my neighbor um about the about the my mic moved a bit um i was talking to someone recently about um vaccines and, and and she was being skeptical about the vaccine and uh, i was felt suddenly very compelled to say no the the vaccine um 
whatever vaccine we get, you know, it, it will have been reviewed and, and it will be tested and, and it's, it'll be very, it, you know, don't be skeptical about the vaccine. We need to all take it. Um, and I immediately found myself proselytizing and I like hating myself. Like, I hate, like, tr- I hate how mm. I sound when I'm trying to make someone think something. Um, how, how did she, I'm curious, how did she take it? Was it just, hmm, okay. Mm, she, well, we're you, good friends and she sort of respects was, my opinion on things. So she, it softened her view a bit. Um, but I realized that I was, I'd sort of derelicted the normal mode of being with her in order to say all these things, which felt yeah. horrible. But I just was kind of in this thing. The, the thing about vaccines, I was just, I just got pissed off. I was like, why are people being, why are my friends being anti-vaxxer? That's fucking crazy. Anyway. Um, but like she's yeah, that's a whole other debate. But she's a lovely person, and I can but, sort of I can you know, totally understand why people are, are like skeptical. But do about you really vaccine. want Bill Gates to put a microchip in your urethra? Because I don't, you know. Um, no, but I think yeah. To to take it back to Jodorowsky, I think um, I'm glad we've found a bifurcation here, and we disagree. Mm. Nominal, um, but in different ways, and I, I can see where you're disagreeing from, and I agree. Like these aren't. I can films. see where you're disagreeing like from as well. By the way, I, I, yeah. I think about creative. Let's li- agree like to creative, disagree. Well. Like the idea that it sort of unleashes one to um, to be like joyful and creative, and to work with clowning, and to be like mm. um, to be celebratory of creativity, um, and like that it depicts someone who was brought up. Um, uh, where creativity was dis- uh, creativity and being effeminate was like discouraged and that it sort of shows someone coming out of that Very that's like an important aspect yeah. as well because my upbringing uh, just like speaking for myself like I was brought up in quite a like in quite an effeminate way and in a very creative way and that's being encouraged <laughs> to make art all the time so that's like something I just sort of like don't relate to and like that's interesting it, yeah because yeah I think I maybe one of the reasons I um, kind of relate more to this is that I grew up in a small coastal town in Chile where I was forced to wear my grandfather's blonde wig. My mum sung an opera and my dad was a harsh communist owner of a lingerie shop and I'd be beaten if he caught me reading poetry. Um, so I can really, you know, I resonate I really with the project. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, it's weird. Um, yeah, I think I think art wasn't kind of accessible to me when I was a kid. So I wasn't discouraged at all. It just was never on, on the table or up for discussion. You know, art galleries mm-hmm. were not a thing that existed. You know, mm-hmm. um, concertos didn't exist. Novels didn't exist. Um, nothing, you know. So it, I had to kind of discover those things for myself. So if anything, it was discouraged by my environment and by myself because there was, you know, why are you skateboarding or why are you drinking white lightning or why aren't you doing nothing you know mm-hmm. kind of thing so I, I think I kind of there's an element of it which speaks to me about this this kind of almost like flourishing um, of your artistic sensibilities is quite powerful for mm. me um, but I'm not attaching any greater like class analysis to or anything like that I just think maybe it just struck a it struck a note with me um, um, but it could struck a note anyway I just think yeah it's it's a very glorious celebration of one person's career and their kind of emergence as a creative person um, I think there's lots of micro stories in there that could be handled really beautifully like you said you know the, the conflict between father and son is the most real bit in the film and maybe there's a different other other filmmakers would have handled that I mean who who for you handles that the best father's son dynamic um 
Hourglass Sanatorium uh, by Vojic has probably the best. Um, but fuck, what else? Um, I can't precisely pick out a Tarkovsky film, but I always feel like Tarkovsky films are about fatherhood. Mm. There's like always this... Particularly the death. Yeah, there's always like... The death of Andrei Tarkovsky. <laughs> there's like a thick... Which is not obviously, obviously by Tarkovsky, but... Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I think... Char- um, Charlie Chaplin's The Kids... It's not about a father and son, but like there's a kind of fatherliness to him towards the kid. Mm. Um, yeah, how about you? What, what are your favourite dad, daddy issue films? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's a subject to have been aware. This is really bad for like a podcast on films and I'm coming up kind of stump, not being able to stump up an example. Um, I really can't. I really can't. I need to think about that. I need to come back Maybe about, we should make one. What? Um, There's actually an amazing one by Zvyaginsev and Andre Zvyaginsev. You know that guy who he sort of started off making like very dramery films that had like a Tarkovsky look to them, and um, mm. now he's like basically the most famous serious filmmaker in Russia. Um, a lot mm. of his films have like quite tough fathers, but there's a particular one called The Return. Um, oh, The Return, of course. Yeah. An amazing film. But that's that's a great um, about one about two fathers, boys so. who's... F- yeah, I watched that at the beginning of lockdown and completely forgotten about it. And he is he's a phenomenal filmmaker. And that film is actually deep, really powerful yeah. um, about two young boys whose father's been in prison pretty much their whole life and returns to them and takes them on a fishing trip uh, to a kind of Siberian island, as anyone can describe it. Um yeah, Sigintsev, yeah. Um, I think there's a lot in, in English-British cinema and English cinema. Even like Shane Meadows, yeah. I think the idea of fatherhood or surrogate fatherhood, like life, my left, uh, Dead Man's Shoes in particular. Um, there's a kind of like idea of like surrogate fatherhood and kind of, you know, absent fathers and um, brothers who act, function as fathers or dysfunctional families. Because in every dysfunctional family, the father is present through their absence mm. um, and Shane Meadows is quite good at that actually um, whatever you have to say about Shane Meadows and kind of kitchen sink drama generally like yeah Dead Man's Shoes Dead Man's Boots I think actually um, it's really really good um, I think yeah. we should do a, a dad's a dad's episode um, we're going to do lots of episodes for Father's guys. Day 2021 maybe. we're going to have a more thematic more free-flowing approach the pods um, but next week yeah, we have a special guest. Got Lara coming on, Lara Alonso, um, to talk about Meek's cutoff by Kelly Reichardt. Um, by Re- Kelly Reichardt, yeah, um, which I'm really excited about. It's been a long time since I've seen it, um, and that's. And then we've got a. So basically, yeah, like Ralph was alluding to, uh, next week will be our last official. Uh, constraint episode where we only watch films on movie as of the week after where we're going to review uh it's a wonderful life with daniel daniel Nia friend mm-hmm. of the pods um we're going off off piece and we're going to just do films we like because why the fuck not life's short um, and wonderful so we'll be doing a lot more and life is short and wonderful so we'll uh, see let's hope, let's hope um, 2021 so we'll be able to wonderful. do 
you never yeah. know really yeah. um but we will be able to do Algar Senatorium. We'll be able to bring you all your faves, problematic or not. We'll be able to do Tarkovsky, which we'll be, get to do Antonioni, which I know we've both been like chewing at the bit mm. to do. Um, so I think, yeah, so and we'll be a lot more open to kind of themes and also suggestions as well now that the pot pool is open slightly. And hopefully we'll be able to do some, some more IRL shows when uh, lockdown restrictions relax. Yeah, I'm excited about the possibility of a real physical. Love to do one with a guest, like an IRL one with a guest. Although we don't have enough microphones, do we? That's interesting. Uh, We've got enough microphones. We've got a Zoom. We uh, can do whatever the fuck. We can share microphones. Like I'm looking a, like forward to Zoom referring to the uh, like the, the audio recording devices <laughs> again, yeah. as they did uh, before March. The of good last old year. days. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah, get it back to that's what we talk about. The return of normality is like you know the good old days when a zoom zoom meant a portable field recorder. Um. <laughs> On that note, listeners, thank you so um, much for tuning in to a yeah. tremendous episode Cheers. of MoobTube. Um, catch you in a yeah. week. Peace Stay out. Safe.